little little series uh, that we're working through here in this aspect of the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1, uh, uh, verses 21 through 24. Now, last week we read those same verses, 21 through 24, but what we saw was the fact that God in this passage is really talking about the testimony of the Israelites. He's addressing kind of what it is that they've been going through, through their God's powerful intervention in their life. We talked about the aspect of God's deliverance where he brought them out of their bondage and then how he transitioned them out of their bondage into the promised land. And what we saw in this passage is the fact that it wasn't just one testimony. There's actually two different testimonies. Last week we talked about the first one, which was the, our testimony to our families, how it's supposed to impact our families and the children uh, that God's blessed us with, be they physical children or spiritual children. And we saw three different things that God was showing us, kind of a three-part plan of how we should be prepared for the inevitable questions that our children are going to ask about God. And we looked at, first of all, uh, in this testimony unto God, part one was the preparedness. They were to be prepared and ready with godly answers for the questions that their children would ask. This was absolutely key about who God was, but also what God had done. Not only in their lives, but in the world as a whole. And we related this to our biblical responsibility to be prepared to have answers for the children in our lives that are going to ask about God's work in us and about Him in general. They want to know about Him. People are just naturally going to have questions about who God is. And what we found was the fact that you and I need to be prepared. Now, how do we prepare ourselves? We saw in 2 Timothy 2.15, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What that verse tells us is the fact that, you know what, it will be, our preparedness will be through our study, through our work, and through rightly dividing the word of truth. That's how we'll be prepared. Then he talked about a physical representation, okay, a physical representation. What we know is that at this point in time, that memorial has been built, right? In Gilgal, they've had that memorial established that was made of the 12 stones that represented people, the people of God. And what we saw with that memorial is the fact that it was pointing the people to the power of God in their lives. It was a memorial unto his power. And we recognize the fact that you and I are supposed to be physical representations of the mighty work of God in our children's lives. They should look at our life and see the Lord. And our life should spark the questions about who God is and what God's done in our life. Then we talked about the biblical response making certain that the response that the children would receive would be one about God and not about them. Okay, this is key because recognize the fact that uh, we all have a story and we're going to talk about that today. But the goal was, and what God's trying to to direct us through Joshua is the fact that this is all about revealing the strength and the power of God, the work of the Lord in people's lives. And what it reflected to us is the fact that that's supposed to be what we're supposed to do. When our kids have questions, they don't need to know the wisdom that we've gained through life. Well, let me tell you, son, when I was a boy... Right? They don't need that. What they need is us to direct them to the Word of God because our goal is not that they would be successful in life, but that they would be successful in Christ. Right? That's the whole goal. If our children are walking with God, then we have done our job successfully. Don't measure by the measure stick of the world, by the measuring stick of God. The Lord, plays it, the Lord says it this way. He said it himself in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's our goal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And notice the keyword, and his righteousness. That they would walk according to what's pleasing 
to the Lord. So, as we're closing out the Israelites' wilderness story, what we're going to do now is we're going to move forward. They've encamped in Gilgal, right? That testimony of the memorial is sitting in place. And what, Paul, what uh, Josh was doing is he's talking about the long-lasting work that God has done and the way the impact that it's going to have. Now, he's talked about, first of all, obviously the families. But what he's going to do now is going to shift out of the family. So, he's going to shift it now. We see it oriented away from the family, but actually oriented to the world in general. And our second message on this point, which is a testimony of God, part two, and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of this word. God, for what you have done, Lord, if in no one else in my heart this week, as Lord, I have prayed and meditated and studied over this word, and God, as you have spoken to my heart, I do pray that you help me to simply relay what it is that you've given me, that we might see the truths of your word. Lord, no one wants to hear from me. We want to hear from you. So, Lord, I do pray that you'll take hold of this message, Lord, that you'll use it for your glory. And, God, you'll speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might truly be changed. Help us, Lord, to be look a little bit more like you than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 4, verses 21 through 24, it says, And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan, Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So in verses 21 and 22, what we saw was that familial narrative really pointing towards fathers, towards their children. He gave them what their testimony was to be in verse 22. Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. A miraculous work took place. And what the Lord was displaying in this thing was the fact that he's holding back destruction. God is holding back destruction, allowing the people to enter into the place that God had prepared for them. That's the picture we see here, creating a testimony of the Israelites that are supposed to share with the next generation. And this is essential. We're supposed to pour into our kids, but understand, and even though that's an important part and that's a foundational part, but then it comes to us. Verses 23 and 24, what we're talking about now is how does our testimony, personal testimony, impact the world around us? And we see here that there are going to be three different things that God's going to show us. What's also interesting is the fact that if we look at this opening phrase in verse 23, what we'll notice is that God uses this opening statement, the Lord your God. You see that three different times in this two verses. It says three different times, the Lord your God. What it's reminding us is the intimacy of the people with God. It's reminding them of the fact that, hey, guess what? The tabernacle at this point in time, it's established. The tabernacle is finished. They've got an unprecedented, unprecedented access to God that's never been before. So he is their God, right? We know from Exodus 29, verses 45 through 46, he described it that way. He says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So not only is he their God, but guess what? They're his people, right? He told us that in Exodus 3, 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So what we see here is this incredible level of intimacy, the hand of God working in these people's lives. But there's another dynamic that's taking place here, which is we see that is shifting to so much more about God receiving glory. The entire passage, everything that we're going to talk about in 21, 24, 20 through 24, is all grounded upon the memorial. 
The memorial is key because what is it? It is a, a fa- it is a, a something they can look at. It is something they can see every single day. It's these 12 stones stacked up. And what does it do every single day? It points to this constant reminder of God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, right? It's this reminder every single day. So as we're reading this scripture, understand he's always referencing back. That's the whole point. They're seeing this. It's an awareness that's in this message that's shifted away from the, from the, from the, from the parents to the population as a whole. We know and they see the entire population. And I believe there are three things that God's teaching us in this passage that we're going to look at today about the testimony unto God, the importance of a testimony. First, we're going to look at the individual testimony, okay? Our individual testimony and the power that it has. Then we're going to look at the collective testimony, the church as a whole and what our testimony can do. And then we'll look at the last thing, which is the impact. The impact that both those testimonies, actually all three of those testimonies, should have the impact of what our family testimony should have, the impact of our individual testimony and our, and our collective testimony. Okay, so in verse twenty-three he says this: For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over. Now notice the pronouns that are used in this phrase. It says you and ye. Okay, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before from before you until ye were passed over. So even though Joshua is speaking to the collective body as a whole, he's also speaking to the individual because even though these people experienced this thing collectively, guess what? It was also very individual. It was also very personal. Each person experienced this individually. And what we see is the fact that God's holding back the Jordan. We know, right? As we look at this phrase that he used here uh, and this aspect of this, and the Lord says, dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you. And we looked at the word Jordan and we know that Jordan is split up by J-O-R and D-A-N. J-O-R means to spread, and Dan means judgment. So it means to spread judgment. So what we see here is the power of the Jordan being held back. What it's a picture of is God holding back judgment. We call this the age of grace. We're in it right now. The Bible says he's storing up his wrath. So when the age of grace is over, guess what? God's wrath is going to come upon the earth. So right now he's holding back Judgment. It's pictured right here. Then it talks about until ye pass over. Now, at this point in time, we have seen that term pass over 15 times just since we reached the Jordan River. And we've talked about extensively what it actually represents. But just as a little reminder, if you haven't been here before. So what it's talking about is it's actually picturing the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Okay. The Passover. It was because of the blood of a sacrificial lamb that would be applied to the homes of the Israelites that death, when it came in, would pass over their homes. And simultaneously, God was also breaking the bond of bondage that they were under to slavery. They would be set free through that very same blood. And what does it do? It pictures the fact that the blood of our Passover lamb right, was applied to our lives. And in doing so, not only does he set us, set us free and heal us, but he brings us out of our bondage. And this is a collective experience. Salvation is a collective thing. We can all share the same truths. We're saved through the same Savior. We have the same result. First John five thirteen says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, those who have gotten saved, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So we all have the same destination. That's a shared experience, right? We go, okay, we're all going to the same place. That ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we all have the same destination by all believers coming by way of the same Savior. But individual paths, right, that are deeply personal that got us each there, right? Each one of us came by way of a different route. 
Listen, some were raised in Christian homes. Praise the Lord. With Christian values. Praise God. And you got saved at an early age. Man, awesome. Good for you. But there's others that came in that same home, right? Raised in a Christian home, raised with Christian values, and they didn't get saved. They maybe played the game for a couple of years. They looked the part for a while. But guess what? When time came, they lived in rebellion, and they went the opposite way. Then maybe there are other people. And then you go, you know, hey, I was raised in a religious home. I had plenty of religion. Lots of rules and regulations and all kinds of stipulations. And what that did was it bring confusion, frustration into people's lives. And as soon as they had an opportunity, instead of getting their answers from the church and the rules of men, they went to the world. And guess what? The world has all kinds of answers, as we talked about last week. But then there may be others. And maybe you're like I am. That's where I came from was the fact I came from no church. I came from no God. I came from a, a background where I didn't have any understanding of who the, Lord, who the Lord was. All I had was the wisdom of the world. And what do we do with the wisdom of the world? We fulfill the lusts of our flesh. And as we do this, we grow more and more despondent and more sad because of the fact that we realize the fact that our life is not going where we're praying that it would. We hope and pray that we would have some answers. But guess what? It all seems to fall apart right before our eyes. And this is the problem right here. Whatever our story Whatever our sin, it does not matter. Because guess what? As he said, bring it to the table, man. God is waiting. Our merciful Father is ready with grace. Grace is to give what's undeserved, right? What we receive from the Lord is by way of grace. God gives us what we do not deserve, which is love instead of judgment. And thank God for that. Because if we got what we deserved... We'd all be in deep, dire trouble. He stands ready to receive us. And not only receive us, but then redeem us. This is the beautiful thing. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11 says this. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. We live according to him. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. An atonement is a payment, right? If there is a debt and someone pays that, they've atoned the debt. We're all, because of our sin, we all have a sin debt that we carry through life. And when Jesus paid the price and when his blood was applied to your life, guess what? The debt that you had to God, guess what? It was paid in full. It's no longer your responsibility. He took it off of you. So no matter who we are, where we came from, no matter how badly we failed, the glory of God takes broken, sinful, rebellious lives and makes them holy. Unbelievably. We can look at who we were and who we are now. And are we perfect? None of us are perfect. But guess what? Has God done a work in us? Yes. Has he redeemed us? Yes. Are we called to be more than we were? Yes. Do we have a passion for the love, for the word of God? Yes. Do we have a desire to know God, to walk with him, to please God? Yes, we should. If you're born again, that's inside of us. The spirit of God compels us. Because let's understand, it's not about what we are, who we are, or what we've done. It's about what he, who he is. And what he has done, that's the key. We're redeemed because of who he is and because of his love, not because we're worthy. Titus 3, 3, 3, verses 3 through 7 says this, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts. Man, this is like, I feel like I'm reading my story. 
and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You ever just had a bad attitude towards the world? You ever know some people that don't matter what you say to them, they just want to fight you? I mean, they just like got a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, there's some people like that because guess what? We have this hate within us. We're so frustrated with where we are and we want hope, but we don't have hope because we got our answers from the world and the world sucks us dry. But what happens? God comes in. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Praise the Lord. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God moves within us, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And man, let me just tell you, if that's your story, you need to tell it. The fact that Christians stay silent is such a travesty. How can we have such a miraculous story and keep it to ourselves? Can you not see that when you share that story that God receives glory? Mm -hmm. Because you don't tell him how great you are and how you redeemed yourself. You know, you go, I was irredeemable. I was a piece of filth. But guess what? God stepped in and he changed my whole life. And my story today is not about me. It's about him. I was in bondage, but guess what? I'm no longer in bondage. And see, prior to the Civil War, there was a woman by the name of Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman in 1820 was born in Maryland on a a slave plantation. She lived a hard life. By the age of five years old, she was taking care of babies. And because she didn't do a good enough job, she was beaten at five years old and put out. And she went from job to job and was horribly abused. At the age of 29 years old, she heard about there was a way out. An underground railroad. She made her way out. And she escaped by way of paths and safe houses and people that had a heart for humanity. And she got free. But then what's interesting about her and what's unique about her and about other people like her is the fact that she had a heart for the people that were still in bondage. Right? And in 1852, she started going back. And she went 19 times. 300 people that she was able to bring out of bondage. And you see what she did? is She shared her story of freedom when she spoke to them. And she told them there was a way out. And you see, that's what God's done for us. It was her heart that brought her to a place where she was willing to risk herself. Her story of escape. But then the joy freedom and not only to tell them about how to get about 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 getting out but then telling them how to get out that's why God saved us do you realize that he didn't save us just so we would be set free and now oh good for me I'm free there are people that were set free that never went back Harriet said you know what I have a heart for those people I want them to be set free And she went back and did what she did because of that compassion, not only to tell them how wonderful it could be to be free, but hey, you know what? Let me tell you the way out. And if we are born again children of God, we need to have the exact same heart. We must go back because there are people around you every single day that are in bondage to sin. They're living lives that are hopeless. And when we share our story, we give hope to hopeless people that go, you know what? Because when she talked to those people that are in chains and she's whispering through a wall, 
She's saying, freedom, you can be free. And they're going, are you kidding me? I'm hopeless. My life has no value. Are you kidding me? And she goes, just trust me. Just trust me. I'm telling you the truth. And there are people that we meet right now, and they feel so eat up with sin that they go, you know what? It's hopeless. And we got to say, no, it's not. Because <laughs> there is a way yes. to freedom. Amen. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said in him, I am the way the truth and the life and no man cometh unto the father but by me there's freedom for any and all who will come so that's the power of the individual testimony let's look at the collective verse 23 as the lord your god did to the red sea which he dried up from before us until we were gone over i'm sorry y'all just wait i'm sniffle through this whole thing i apologize notice Joshua's same introduction, the Lord your God, right? Again, what does it do? It gives credit to where credit is due, okay? It was the hand of God. Also notice the pronouns. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. No longer you and me, now us and we, okay? Pointing to the importance of this shared experience of deliverance, right? Joshua is referencing the parting of the Red Sea. When he does that, we know what we know the power of this story because guess what? We were back with Rahab in chapter number two. And what happened with Rahab? This is what she said in two verses 10 through 11. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you, were came, when you came out of Egypt and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Notice the title she gives the Lord, the Lord your God. Rahab is telegraphing the power of the Israelites' collective testimony. We heard the story of what happened to you collectively. And guess what it did, man? It put fear in our hearts. We realized that God was the true God. Understand, this is a matter of understanding the fact that you and I must be mindful that as a people, we've experienced the miraculous hand of God in our lives. If you're a born again child of God, you've experienced it. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. You are a walking testimony. And when the result of our salvation is we're no longer residents of this world. We are no longer a part of this place. We're here, but we're not a part of it. John 17, verses 11 through 18, Jesus explains it. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Right now we're stuck here. And I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. And they, that they may be one as we are one. He's telling them, you know what you need to be? Unified in the word of God, unified around doctrine upon the knowledge of God. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Speaking about Judas, understand Judas's choice to betray Jesus was always included in God's plan. He always knew it. Verse 13, and now come I to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Don't take them out, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And listen to this last part. And thou hast sent me into the world. 
even so have I also sent them into the world. As I came to share the good news, I send them into the world to give the good news, to share their testimony. As born-again believers, we are unified around the Word of God. We must allow it to be our final authority, the absolutely essential truth of the church. It must be. Because if it becomes, all, if it becomes about social issues and preferences and religious rules, if that's what guides us and not the Word of God, then we're in dire trouble. Because what happens is the church is it stops being guided by His Word. It starts down a path where it becomes nothing more than an organization that's trying to find a way to please humanity. That's not why we're here. We should not be about pleasing people and letting them hear what they want to hear. We're not here to tickle ears. We're to to please God. Because what happens is people make concessions to sin, and they embrace viewpoints that do not line up with Scripture. What happens? The church stops functioning to be what it was created to be. God tells us that we are the bride of Christ. Holy, holy, chaste virgin. We're supposed to be clean and righteous. We're not supposed to be infiltrated with all this garbage. And what happens is because the church has not done its job and they've allowed the cares of the world to get involved and to now start to start to please people, suddenly sin's not as sinful. Things that are wrong are not quite as wrong as they used to be. Because you know what? We need to be able to conform to our society. We've got to reach people and come where they are. Oh, I agree. We need to reach people. But we don't need to bow our standards to what, they, to what God says is wrong. What's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. And you know what? When people come to the realization, the fact that that's what they need, people want that. They're out there looking for the answers, but they don't know where to go. And if we concede and we start to look like the world, we don't have any answers either. That's why we stand upon the word of truth. We embrace what he tells us to be. Remember in Ephesians 5.25, he tells us who we are. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We stand on the word. The key to maintaining ourselves is the true church. A godly church is holding fast to sound doctrine, as Titus 1.9 teaches us. Hold fast. Hold fast the doctrine. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. We're supposed to look like God, not the world. When the church compromises on God's word, it's no longer what it was created to be, which is a refuge for the hopeless, right? That's what it's about. This is where the broken can come and hear the truth. And not only hear the truth, but be healed by the truth, and then be mobilized by that same truth to what God did in them. They can then allow their story to reach out and touch someone else and give them hope and be like a Harriet Tudman, right? Because you know what's interesting about her? You know what her title was? They called her the Moses of her people because she was willing to be used to bring them out of bondage. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be going back touching people's lives. The church does not exist to please humanity. The church exists to please God. And if we ever change that standard, we're in dire trouble. My question is this, is the collective church as a whole, is that what we're doing? Are we all about pleasing God? I'm 54 years old. I don't have a whole lot of church experience, 20 years of it. But I'm just telling you in the church experience that I have, 
in the Laodicean church age that we're in right now, what I see is that's exactly what the church is doing. It's about pleasing man. It's about rock concerts, making people have a good time. They want to walk in there feeling good and come out feeling even better. But the Bible says it's for reproof, rebuke, and exhortation. It's supposed to confront us and help us change our lives to look a little bit more like the Lord. Because what happens when we're going through life throughout the week, the world is conforming us. If we're not careful, it's conforming us every single day. All the influences are conforming us. And God's saying, ah, 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 ah. Be not conformed to this world. Right? Be not conformed. 2 Timothy 3 talks about this church age. He says this, men shall be lovers of their own selves. They shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. When you get to 2 Timothy 3, verse 7, listen to this one. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, but, not able, but, but, says, but never able. They cannot get to the knowledge of the truth. And we're going to understand why in just a little while when we understand where knowledge actually comes from. So we look at this aspect. Not only is this our collective testimony to the world, because guess what? The world sees us that way. But it's our testimony to God. That's what God sees. We're not doing our job. So what do we do about it? How do we get back to who it is we're supposed to be? And this brings us to our final point, which is the impact, the impact of these testimonies. Keep in mind, this is referencing the familial, the individual, and the collective testimony and how they impact. Verse 24 says this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So what we see here is this actually has a uh, twofold impact here. So Joshua, first of all, points to the global that the whole earth may know. And then what you notice is he says that ye may know. It goes from global down to a personal scale. So as we take this and we break it down, let's first look at the global impact. Verse 24 says this, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty. What we see here is the purpose of our families, the purpose of our lives, the purpose of our churches is to proclaim the majesty of God. Okay? That's the purpose. That's why we're here. That's why the church is formed, to proclaim the majesty of God. That's why God gave you the family that he did. So what happens every time when we raise godly children in a godly home, we display the glory of God. When we live lives that are righteous, that are holy, and we display the love of Christ to the world, guess what? We display the glory of God. When our church refuses to follow man, and we stand upon the word of God, and we do what we're supposed to do, we display the glory of God. Of God. These are all testimonies. Remember what he said that all the people of the earth, not just your brothers and sisters, not just people, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that the world might know. Know means knowledge. What did we just find about in 2 Timothy 3 7? Ever learning, but unable to get the knowledge, right? They can't get the knowledge because guess what? Knowledge is founded in fear. Listen to this. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fear is key. Proverbs 2.5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Knowledge is linked to fear. Reverence, right? Our world does not fear the Lord. Our world does not reverence the Lord. Our world makes fun of God, pokes fun at God, does not fear him. Yet there is an accountability coming for every single solitary soul who lives on this planet, who's ever lived on this planet. 
and understand it's reverential fear of God, that accountability to him, guess what it does? It allows us to understand things from a biblical perspective because we take the word of God seriously. It's not just stories. It's not just fables, but it's truth. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There's an inexorable connection between fear and knowledge. It's the reverence of God that allows us to take the word of God and allow it to speak to our hearts. It's the accountability we have to God as we read the word of God, and as it directly impacts us, we go, man, I need to make a change. Not because it'll feel good, but because I know I'm accountable to the Lord. But you see what happens as believers' lives and churches and families start to look less and less like God, what happens? The world follows suit. We are where we are today because of the testimony of the church. We have not done our job. Not only does the world see us and think, well, they don't really fear God, but they don't even really know God. And a majority of Christians, if you sat down and you gave them a 10-question quiz on doctrine, I hate to say, most of us would fail miserably. We don't know the foundations of what it is we're supposed to believe because we don't spend time on the Word of God because we're not instructing our families like we're supposed to. We're not living lives that are directed and guided by the Word of God. And the churches have lost sight of who it is they're supposed to please. And they started being focused upon pleasing humanity. And that is the road to destruction. And our society has followed suit. And the current state of our world today is because Christians have have simply lived their lives trying to please themselves instead of trying to please God. If we're guilty of that, we need to change. It is absolutely key. So that's the global impact. Then let's wrap up with the personal impact. Okay, verse 24 says this, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Notice it switched now to an individual. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we can change the trajectory of our culture. Okay, if we want to make a change, this is where it's done. We keep seeing this recurring word fear. Okay. Fear is what is absolutely essential. Fear of God. Now more than ever. Because people have lost sight of it. Do you realize that the byproduct of fear, that kind of reverence, what does it do? Well, it causes us to change our behaviors. Right? We fear the the judicial system because they have power over us. Right? We're not going to go out and break the law because we go, man, guess what? I'm accountable because if they catch me, I could do time. I got to pay a fine, whatever it is. But it's accountability. That's what it is. We're accountable to our parents as children. It works. It allows us to help help us to learn to take things seriously. And what we realize is if you and I can live our lives understanding that our accountability in this life is to God, and there is no greater accountability. What's wrong with our society? They don't stand accountable to God. They're accountable to one another. Most really, just themselves. As long as they're happy, as long as they got what they want, long as they're fulfilled, it's all that matters. Boy, what a lie that is, straight out of hell. Because I'm just telling you, we're all accountable to God. No matter what we believe, don't make a bit of difference. doesn't change the reality. Because let me just tell you, every single solitary person who was ever created will one day stand at one of two judgments. As believers, we'll stand at the judgment seat judgment scene of Christ. And what will happen is God's going to judge us based upon the life we live, the deeds that we did in this life, good or bad. And then everybody else, 
the final reckoning for all of humanity will be the great white throne. And there will be no one at the great white throne that will claim that it's unfair. Because you know what God's going to do? He's going to show them every chance they were given to receive the truth. And he's going to show them every one of their sins. I believe it's going to be shown like a movie. And he's going to take us back and show us time after time after time after time after time when we spit in his face and we rejected his hand and when his love reached out, we responded with hate because we were filled with self. And this world is going to be full of so many people. As the Bible says, the mighty men will whimper and cry. The Bill Gateses of the world, the Jeff Bezoses of the world, who stand with so much strength and so much knowledge, and I know all the answers to all the questions in life, that man will whimper and cry and beg for mercy and will receive none because the time of grace is now. And if you stand defiantly to God today, when that time comes, there will be no more grace. There's one thing, judgment. And it's called the great white throne judgment. And immediately after that, a lake of fire. Not because God wants people to suffer. He's holding back his wrath right now. It's deserved. Destruction should come now. He should let the Jordan come now, man. Just let it wash this place clear. But for whatever reason, because of his incredible love, he's holding back. And you and I are here during this time with this knowledge. And yet we go, eh, I'm safe. I'm good. My kids are good. Who cares? We have tracks in our car. We interact with people every day. Don't even give them a track. I'm telling my new thing today, or not today, but recently, God's given me this. When I give people tracks, I tell them this. I said, look, I'm going to give you a Bible study. 20 years ago, this changed my life like I cannot explain to you. Would you just take a minute and read it? And it's true. The truth of the gospel, it changed my life. I was heading straight to hell, no doubt about it, man. Full speed ahead. But God. But God. And if that's our story, why not tell someone, why do we stay silent? Why do we allow fear to keep us in our place? When we stand before the Lord of the judgment seat, it's what we did. Did you share your testimony? I gave you a testimony. I gave you a story. Remember how I interacted in your life and you were going down the road of destruction? Remember how I did all these things to protect you through all those times? You should have died here and you should have died here and you should have died here and you should have died here. But I protected you all those times I stepped in. And finally I broke through. Remember that? How many times did you tell that story? Just share it whenever you're sitting around with your Christian friends. Guys, they're already saved. It ain't going to do no good. Maybe it's encouraging, but you're not going to reach. It's not the Harriet Tubman's of the world. We go back to the ones that are in slavery. We would try to break them out, Amen. break them free, and point them to the way of truth. Amen. Jesus said it this way, man. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your testimony. That's what he's saying, your testimony. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. The way you shine is through the testimony of your life. You want to change the world? We do it one person at a time. Everyone we interact with, God gives us an opportunity. Every day we're called to shine. The world is a dark place. This world right now is in a spiritual night. When Jesus was here, he said, I am the light of the world. When he ascended from this place, darkness fell upon the earth. That's why in Philippians, he tells us that you're to shine as lights. It's a picture of the sun and the moon. And when the sun is gone, guess what? The moon takes the place and it reflects light. That's all we are. 
But so many of us spend so much time being blocked. We've got so much of the world in between us and the sun that there is no light. Right. Or we're just a little crescent every once in a while. God's saying, look, get it out of the way. Shine for me. It's through our boldly shining the love of Christ to the world around us that we can check because we can change and impact our culture. And it's just one person at a time. Who does God put before you today, tomorrow? Who will you interact with? Will your testimony speak of him or will it speak of you? We're so filled with self. Understand if our families and our lives and our churches, if we'll do our job, man, we won't be a testimony of the world. We'll be a testimony unto God. That's the reason why the Israelites had a story. See how it impacted Canaan before they ever even got there. Just the story. Man, you all, every one of us, we have a story. God's saying, hey, will you share it? Understand, if our story is all about us, it steals glory from God. But if our story is about him and we share the truth, he receives the glory. And you see, it's either one or the other. Just two choices. Either we get the glory or God gets the glory. The question is, which one are you living? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift today, what you've spoken to us about our testimonies. Lord, I do pray that you'll help us. Help us, Lord, to be fully committed. Lord, not to be silent. Lord, help us to have a heart like Harriet did to go back into the pit, to go back amongst those that are in the midst of slavery and share with them the truth of freedom and the way out. God, I thank you so much for the love you have for this world, for the way that you have worked in our individual lives, for the stories that you've given us, the testimonies that we had that we can share. Lord, I pray that you help us to be bold, help us to shine as lights amidst the darkness. God, I thank you so much for what you are doing in us. Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are not here, that are online. Lord, grip their hearts. Lord, I know the message is, is, is good when we receive it online, but Lord, it's not the power of being here. And Lord, I do pray that you'll reach out and touch their hearts. God, help them to get serious about this thing. Serious about who it is there to be in Christ. Again, it's all about him, not about us. So their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today, you say, look, I don't know. I don't even have a testimony. I don't even know what that means. The testimony is this is who I was. This is how I met Christ. And this is who I am now. If you don't have a story like that, you're not saved. Because there was a point in time when you must choose to receive the gift of God. Salvation does not happen to us. It's not a, a matter of being a part of a family or being religious. It's not that at all. It's about surrendering our hearts to the Lord, recognizing the fact that He is the only way. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't have that thing. I don't have a testimony. You're online watching this, recorded, whatever. And you say, I don't know. The good news is Christ is reaching out to you. No matter what your story is, no matter how far you've fallen, how badly you failed, God's ready, willing, and able to receive you right now in this very second. His arms are wide open to you. All you have to do is be willing to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's not a magic prayer. There's nothing about a ceremony. This is nothing more than a heart willing to receive the truth. If you're willing to pray and receive Christ as your, as your Savior, He's ready and willing to receive you right now. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you that chance. Repeat after me with your heart and mind. Dear Lord, 
I know that I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. I understand the weight that's attached to it and the burden that you bore for the world. I'm asking you right now to apply your blood to my sin, to redeem me, to restore me, to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you by faith to be my Savior. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still back.